Amen. And so I say thank you so much for all of your hard work. And uh, man, there's no way there's no way to even uh, quantify all of the hours and, and, and investment and sacrifice and labor, both physically, spiritually, mentally, uh, emotionally, uh, that this church has put in. Not just to this one outpouring, but but to everything that this church does. This this is not just a local church, although it is a local body and a local presence. But this is a global church, and you know that this is a global church, and that's why that's why I love coming here because the vision of this church is not just Palm Bay. The vision of this church is global. This church raises up leaders. Raises up missionaries, and I'm not just talking uh, about leaders and missionaries and, and, and preachers and pastors that just move away to plant another church in another city, state, or country, which you do that, but this church raises up leaders from within that, that feel a burden to stay here. But even though you feel a burden to stay here, you don't feel a burden to, to, to stay here on a plateau, if that makes sense. And for whatever reason, there's, there's sort of this, this roof of limitation that people put on themselves when they think, okay, I'm not a missionary to, to, to Uganda, or I'm not a pastor to Ohio, or I'm not an evangelist traveling. Uh, I'm just, I'm just a local saint, just a local church body. And so they kind of, they cap their their growth. You know, they say, well, all I can do is just maybe get to the platform one day and sing or play or testify. Or maybe I can do this one day. But but that that's not the will of God. This is not the finish line. This the platform, in fact, of this sanctuary is the smallest platform of this church. Did you know that? You didn't get that. The, the platform here in this sanctuary is actually the smallest platform that this church has. Because this church has platforms all over the world. You've got platforms of evangelism and you've got platforms of teaching Bible studies and you've got platforms of, of ministry in your home and you've got platforms in every different area. There's multiple layers of, of platforms, so to speak, of influence and ministry. And so I honor you for that and say thank you. And I give honor, um, to brother and sister Myers and their leadership and, and the leadership of this church and their vision. And I was on the phone for about an hour yesterday to Brother Myers and, and I got off the phone and, and, uh, was talking to my wife about the things that God is doing and, uh, with this crusade and global harvest emotion and other things. And I was just telling him, man, I love, I love, uh, the Myers and, and I love the leadership of this church, the Richies and so many leaders because this church doesn't just think. This church doesn't just have good ideas. <laughs> There's a lot of good visionaries out there. And the Bible does say where there is no vision, the people perish. But there's a lot of people with vision. But but if you don't do something with that vision, you might as well just throw in the garbage. But what I love about this church is that this church and the leadership, they see a vision. And it's kind of fuzzy sometimes. It doesn't even fully make sense. It's not clear. You know, the Bible says we see through a glass darkly. And we just think, man, that I think that's God. Let's just figure it out. Let's just try it out and see if it is God or not, you know. This church kind of has a mentality that says, I'd rather do something and do it wrong than to do nothing at all. This church has a mentality that says, I'd rather go do something the wrong way than to play it safe and just sit on a pew and never do anything at all. This this church kind of has the spirit of Simon Peter that says, I might sing, but I'd rather take a few steps and say, at least I got out of the boat. What did you do? Amen. 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 Uh, I'm going to get into a couple of things here, but uh, I want to start by reminding or reiterating. I was here for three months last year, January, February, March, 
And uh, so I want to reiterate, and I know many of you probably weren't in uh, the class, the, the, the small group class that I taught for 10 or 11 weeks, whatever it was. Um, and so I reiterate, this is a reiteration for those that were a part of that class, and this is new maybe to some of you, but, but I want to stress um, regarding this Holy Ghost outpouring, I want to stress something very, very important. I believe that our success is not defined this week by how many people get the Holy Ghost. That, that's, that's great. I want them all to get the Holy Ghost. I want a hundred, I want a hundred thousand to get the Holy Ghost, but, but it, whether we have one, a hundred or thousand, we're not going to come back next week and God say, Oh, you only had one. All right. Well, I'm not going to bless you this week. If you had had five, I, I would have given you a little bit more. If you had had a hundred, I would have given you a little bit more favor and blessing. I would have blessed your family a little bit more. I, I would have put a little bit more on your tax return this year coming up. And... <laughs> The success of this week is not determined by how many people get the Holy Ghost. In Luke chapter 10, I won't go there. I'll just paraphrase and you just believe me and just trust me. Or you can go there tonight and read it yourself. In Luke chapter 10, we find the barometer of success according to the kingdom of God. And when he sends out 70 and he sends out the 12 to go do in essence what we're about to do he said he sends them into the world and he sends them to be the first apostolic evangelist missionaries and preachers and they went out teaching bible studies and he didn't even go with them they came back and they were rejoicing the bible says and according to matthew's record that they did four types of miracles they healed the sick they raised the dead they passed out demons and they cleansed the lepers that's something to rejoice about. Woo! Can you imagine? Next Wednesday night, next Sunday after this crusade is over, you can say, hey, how many dead people did you raise at, at that high school football field? Three. How about you? Four. There's always that one person that wants to one-up, you know. I raised four from the, from the grave. Yeah. That, 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 that would be something to rejoice about. I remember we saw, we saw a man healed. Last year out of a wheelchair, we saw just in, in a couple of services, we saw 46 people filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. But that doesn't count all the people that were filled with the Holy Ghost with the training and evangelism and investment that was going into uh, that, that outpouring. And so we saw much more than 50 or 60 people filled with the Holy Ghost. Because as we were doing evangelism every week leading up to the outpouring, we were seeing people filled with the Holy Ghost every week from those efforts. Amen. But that wasn't the barometer of success for Jesus in Luke chapter 10 because they came back shouting, dancing, running the aisles, rolling on the floor, saying, hey, he said, they said, even the demons were subject to us in your name. And Jesus, in essence, says, yeah, I know. Because I was there when I, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I know he's subject to you in my name. Isn't that amazing? I didn't have to be there. You just used my name. And the demon said, what do you want? I'll obey. <laughs> but he says, don't rejoice over this. Don't rejoice in this. He says, rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. And I find it very interesting and essential 
that Jesus refers to their names being written in heaven only after their feet had been out in the world. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Woo. It's pretty awesome. So when we come back next week, there, there should just be a praise break of, of East Wind Church. This should just be a pause. I, I'm, I'm giving a challenge to the praise team. This should just be a praise break. Yes, we rejoice over those that get the Holy Ghost. Yes, we rejoice over those that get deliverance and direction and healing in their body. But I'm going to rejoice that my family's name has been written in heaven because I'm more than a pew warmer. I'm more than a church junkie. I'm more than an East Wind member and attendee. I am an apostolic man of God. I am an apostolic woman of God. I am reaching for the lost. I am reaching for the hurting. I am testifying of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Woo! He said rejoice that your name is written in heaven. That's something to rejoice about. There ought to be a praise break when I realize my name is written in heaven because my name used to be behind bars and my name used to be ridiculed and my name used to bring the connotation of addiction and my name used to be a curse and a shame and my name used to bring guilt. But now the White House doesn't know my name. The arenas, the sports arenas, the Miami Dolphins or the you know, Seminoles, whatever. They, they don't know my name. They don't run out with my name on their, their uniform. But your name is written in heaven. That's something to rejoice about. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and remember that my name used to be in the gutter. My name used to be in the valley. My name used to be... But now my name has been delivered because of his name, the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess because of his name, the name above all names, the name where the righteous run therein and are safe. My name is written in heaven. You can sit down, but I just want to stress that point a step further because if my name is written in heaven, I have no reason to feel insecure over what someone might say about my name. When I step out by faith for the first time at Palm Bay outpouring and say, I never prayed anybody through the Holy Ghost, but I'm going to give this thing a try. There should be no reason for me to think, but what if it doesn't happen? And then what if they talk about me? And what if they say this about my name? And what if they ridicule my name? Go ahead. Say what you want to about my name. Because my name's written in heaven. The Bible says in the next verse that in that same hour that Jesus rejoiced. Look up how many times in your Bible you find Jesus running the aisles. It's not very often. In fact, it's just one time. And here we find him rejoicing. And then you read the context and he begins to rejoice and says, Father, thank you for not giving this word 
to the wise and the prudent, the word of what? The word of going out into the world. He had called them and sent them into the world. And he says, thank you for not giving this word to the wise and prudent. The prudent, we have a lot of prudent Pentecostals in other churches, not this one, the other church. Just somebody say the other church, not, not this. And when you say the other church, you kind of think, oh yeah, we know. There's a lot of prudent Pentecostal. You know what prudent means? It means cautious and careful. They always play it safe. And because they always play it safe, they may never fail, but they never advance either. That's why I said earlier, I'd rather do something and fail than to do nothing at all. Because God's not looking for my performance. He's looking for my effort. And so Jesus rejoiced. The context of his worship was the fact that this word of going to a high school football field was not given to the wise and the cautious and the careful. It was given to a bunch of crazy apostolics like us. Oh, I forgot it's Wednesday night. We ain't crazy on Wednesday night. <laughs> he said, I'm not going to give it to the ones who have to just, you know, sit in the right seat and have to do it just right. Please don't step on my shoes and I just polish my, no, 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 no. I am apostolic. I've been called out. I'm peculiar. I'm chosen. I'm a royal priesthood. Let me just say this. This is the first time I've traveled in, I think, 10 years of full-time evangelism that I haven't packed a tie. <laughs> and I like wearing ties. You know, it kind of gets in the way of now and then. But I like, I like looking nice. I like dressing up for Jesus, you know. I like looking my best. And I like putting on a good tie. So I'm not against all that. I love it. But I was so excited about not packing a tie for one reason. Not because I don't have to wear a tie. Again, I don't, I like wearing ties. I think it looks good. I think we should look good for the Lord. Amen. But what I was so excited about not packing a tie for is because I, I realized I'm not packing a tie because I'm not preaching to Pentecostals. You, it's okay. Say, I'm not packing a tie because we're going out there in the slums and we're going out there in the fire and we're going out. There might be a storm. There might be a rainfall. And so we left our tie behind because we said, I want to reach somebody. I want to testify to somebody. I'm not here to persuade the Pentecostals. I'm here to reach the lost at any cost, whatever it takes. I'm ready to step out and go forth in the grave. Grace of God. So our success is not how many people get the Holy Ghost. The success of Jesus, or at least his barometer of success, was not how many people are coming to church. In Luke chapter 10, the context was of his rejoicing was how many people in the church are going to the world. So regardless of the results... We still rejoice because he's found us worthy to carry this call to someone else. Somebody just say, thank you, Jesus. 
Hallelujah. Felt like the Lord just gave me a word for tonight, okay? So just bear with me. I'm trying not to preach, but it just kind of comes out. Amen. And uh, I was reading this the other day, actually a few weeks ago, and it's just one of those things that's kind of stuck with me for a little bit. If you look, you don't have to read it all, but if you look in, in the book of Judges, chapter 6, and there's a, Judges isn't one of those books that you just, you can't wait to go read, you know. But Judges 6 is a very familiar chapter of Judges because things actually begin to happen, you know. And, and uh, it's not so boring in Judges 6. Gideon shows up and the Lord shows up. But the context is, is that the Israelites were in this perpetual state of betrayal from God. They could not separate themselves from their idolatry and their carnality. They just couldn't get it right for a second. They couldn't figure it out. And so finally, God, he, he, he gave them all these judges to try to correct their missteps and it just wasn't working. So finally, God gives them over to the Midianites for seven years as punishment for their betrayal and their idolatry. And he gives them over to the Midianites for seven years. And the context of this chapter is the fact that they were... They were oppressed by the Midianites and the Midianites were so cruel and sadistic that that the, the Israelites were so afraid of them. They would go out and they would literally dig out their own caves in the mountain to hide from the Midianites. Whew, that's a lot of work just to hide from somebody. And the Bible tells us that there was men and thieves and marauders of the Midian, Midianites who would camp out and wait. Until Israel had planted all their crops. Taking care of all their sheep and their goats and their donkeys and their livestock. And just when it was about time for harvest. The Midianites, the thieves and the people camping out. They were so sadistic that they would rush out and they would destroy the crops. Kill all of their animals. And the Bible's very specific in stating that they wouldn't just rush in and... Just and run away. No, they would stay there so long that they would destroy everything, leaving the Israelites in total destruction and starvation. Just when the harvest was about to be reaped, these Midianites would rush out and steal it from them. The Israelites would think, we're, we're about to see this harvest. We're about to see our, our work paid off here. And the Midianites would rush out and phew, destroy it all. And the Israelites would face death by starvation, depression, confusion, uncertainty. The Bible tells us that, that Israel was reduced to starvation... And they began to cry out to the Lord because of this situation. And the Lord sends a prophet to Israel and he says, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I Watch this. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt 
And I've given them verse 12. So you guys just hang on for verse 12. He says, I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I brought you out of the world. I delivered you from the hand of bondage. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out all, uh, drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I, I told you that I am the Lord, your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But you've not listened to me. And so now here comes Gideon. <laughs> it's a pretty rough situation. Okay. And here comes in verse 12, the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says to him, the Lord is with you. Thou mighty man of valor. Imagine the context I just described to you. Destruction, starvation, death, despair, no doubt. People taking their own lives. And then the Lord, the angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon and says, God is with you. And Gideon responds to that angel like a bunch of us respond to a preacher. You got to be kidding. In fact, Gideon asks him these questions. In verse 13, Gideon says, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? In other words, he says, why has all of this happened to us? That's question number one that he asked. Why has all this happened to us? Not why has this happened to the world, but why has this make it personal? Why has this happened to us? It's a lot easier when it happens to somebody else. You think, well, they probably deserved it. But when it happens to you, and even the angel of the Lord is telling you God is with you. His first question is, why has all this happened to us? How could God be with us? He goes on and says, and where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. So question two is, where... Are the miracles our elders told us about? Have you ever thought that before? Where's the miracles? Where is the miraculous? Now, even in a church like this, that week on a weekly basis sees the miraculous. Uh, even you can say, but where are the real miracles? Where are the tangible, notable miracles? I, I may have seen that, but where's this? Where are the miracles our elders told us about? Our preachers told us about? Where are the miracles? Amen. In verse 14, the Bible says, and the Lord looked upon him. Now, in verse 12, the Bible says it was the angel of the Lord. And now he's got the Lord looking at him. And the Lord looked upon him and said, go in this thy might. Now, we don't talk like that. That's King James. The NLT says, go in your strength. I don't have any strength. Every time the crop is about to bring forth fruit, the Midianites steal it. Our lambs, our goats, our sheep, our cattle are gone. I'm weak. I'm destitute. I'm skinning bones. I'm depressed. I'm confused. I don't have any strength left. And God says to his questions, 
go in your strength. What strength you have left is enough for me. in your strength watch this now and thou who's thou God's talking to Gideon so who is thou Gideon and thou shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites have not I sent thee and Gideon said unto him my Lord wherewith shall I save Israel Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. In the NLT, it reads like this. But Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest, weakest. Somebody shout weakest. Shout weakest. My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. So question three that Gideon gives to the Lord is, why has the Lord, or he gives to the angel of the Lord, why has the Lord saved us if he's not going to help us? Is anybody hearing me? Gideon says, why did God, if you go back, why did he bring us out of Egypt if he's not going to help us go forward? Why did he save us? Why did he fill me with the Holy Ghost if he's not going to let me pray for somebody else to receive the Holy Ghost? Why did he baptize me in Jesus' name if he's not going to help me bring somebody else to the salvation of Jesus' name? Question four, Gideon gives to God. He says, how will we save Israel when we are so weak and poor? If you go back to verse 14, God tells him, you go in your strength for you shall save Israel. Watch this. Have not I sent thee? You got to get this tonight. Because this is going to release us. I feel the Holy Ghost. This is going to release us into another dimension of faith and expectation. Not in ourselves, but in the calling of God. In the position and purpose of God. Watch this. He says... If God is with me, how could have all this taken place in my life? How could my wife have left me, my kids walk away from God, my boss fire me, and etc.? How could all these things happen to me? <laughs> how could God be for us? And he goes on and says, if God's really for us, then where are all the miracles that we've been told about? I'm waiting for God to perform the miraculous. Where are the miracles? And God shows up. He says, hey, angel, step over here. Let me talk to him. And he says, hey, Gideon, you want to know where the miracles are? You think you're waiting on me to perform the miraculous? Well, let me tell you something, Bubba. I sent you. That's answer number one. I sent you. I wish you'd turn to your neighbor and say, stop waiting on God. He sent you. I wish you'd get even more bold than that. 
and point your finger at yourself and say, stop waiting on God. He sent you. He said, and secondly, he said, go in the strength that you have. You think you don't have strength? You think you're weak? Well, I got news for you. You've got enough strength. You Stop asking for more power. You've got Holy Ghost power. Stop asking for more revelation. You've got the revelation. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And I've saved the best part for last. Verse 15, he tells them, I'm weak. And God tells them, use the strength you've got left. Verse 16, and the Lord said unto him, surely I will be with you. Answer number three, I will be Man, I'm getting ready to jump in the ring with something that's bigger and stronger and taller and more ferocious than me. I might be puny. I might be weak. But put me in front of Goliath. Because ah, you come to me with a sword and a shield. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I'm not... I'm not going out there by myself. God's going to be with me. I'm not praying for anybody by myself. God's going to be with me. I'm not going to, nah, I'm not going to prophesy by myself. I'm not going to pray for the sick by myself. When I go, when I go in my strength, God said, I will go with you. I'm not stepping out by myself. It may look like I'm walking in my weakness, but wait till I lay my hands on the sick. And when I say in the name of Jesus, he says, I'm there. When I say by the authority of the word of God, the Lord shows up. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. I see people like this man of God, this woman of God, this couple here. I see people sitting in that pew or sitting in your seat in that folding chair on that football field, sitting there saying, man, this is pretty cool. Never been to anything like this. And then all of a sudden, whoever's preaching up there gives an altar call. They better, we're going to fire them. And they give an altar call and they say, if you've never received the Holy Ghost, 
I want you to come down to the altar. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, I want you to come down to the altar. If you have sickness, pain, or disease in your body, I want you to come to the altar. If you have confusion or bitterness or addiction in your life, I want you to come to the altar for deliverance. And here comes a host of people. Here comes people from around the community. And I see people sitting in their seats thinking, man, is, is this, is this the time? Is this the one? Is this the time, the night? Is this the service that for the first time I'm going to step out? I've never stepped out like this before. In fact, I usually don't even go to the altar unless I really have a need. But this might be the night. I think I'm going to step out on what strength I've got left. I don't have much strength. I'm weak. I'm destitute. I'm not holier than thou. I'm not like David with my anointing flowing over my cup. I can't sing. I can't preach. But the Lord said, the miracles are waiting for you to go. I'm about to release the miraculous. When you get up and take a step of faith, I sent you. I called you I'm bringing you out so that I can reveal my power in you you're waiting for the miraculous God says I'm waiting on you I'm waiting on you I sent you I called you I see people from this church stepping out and saying, I don't know if I can do this, but I know one who can. Walking up there with boldness, with weakness, but with boldness. Understanding the insecurity of I'm not worthy and I don't deserve this. But I'm ready. I can't sit in a pew anymore. I can't just attend church anymore. I've got to be used of God. i got to do it. Paul told Timothy, I've got to stir up the gift of God that is in me. The Holy Ghost is in me, but it's been lying dormant for too long. I'm ready to activate it. I'm ready to stir it up. I'm ready to turn this city upside down. I'm ready to see tens of thousands of people filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm ready to see a global harvest. I'm ready to see billions filled with the Holy Ghost. I think you ought to just lift up your hands right now. I feel an unction of the Holy Ghost in this place. Y'all lay hands on this man right here. He needs a touch from God. Somebody lay hands. 
Ask him what he needs. If he needs the Holy Ghost, if he needs a touch from God, a healing, lay your hand on his head and pray him through right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I want you to look at this real fast. And then we're going to just have a time of prayer. I want you to look at this for just a second. Hallelujah. I want you to listen for just a second. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We all know. Remain standing. I'll take two seconds here. And then we're going to pray. But we all know the great commission is found throughout the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's in the book of Acts. We know that Jesus called them to the Great Commission. But what we do as Christian believers is we we allow the Great Commission in our minds to be exclusive to the great Christians. <laughs> if we don't understand the great context. And the context of the Great Commission, see the Great Commission is Matthew twenty eight, nineteen. The great context is Matthew 28, 16. The great commission is Mark 16 and 15. But preceding that in Mark 16 and 14, you find the great context. And if you just not even study, you just read it. You find that first of all, there's only 11 disciples there at the resurrection final discussion that Jesus has with them. Only 11 Because one of them, they've all betrayed him. They all betrayed Jesus. But one of them was so eaten up with guilt that he commits suicide. And these are the men in whom Jesus has 
given his call to turn the world upside down to. And they all betrayed him just a few days before. Jesus shows up knowing this is my last chance to convince these guys. Matthew records in tw- Matthew 28, 16 and 17 that, that they went to where Jesus told them to go. And when Jesus shows up, the Bible says that they worshiped him, but some doubted. How could you doubt after all you've seen over the last three and a half years? All you've heard over the last three and a half years, you slept near him around a campfire. You watched him feed 25,000 people. You watched him raise Lazarus from the grave. You watched him raise himself from the tomb. And you're still doubting? Sound familiar? I deal with it on a daily basis. That... I believe, but help my unbelief element. They're doubting. How could you possibly be? You got to see him in the flesh. And not only that, you got to see him in a resurrected body. And the Bible says that he, at one point, he opened their minds to understand all the scriptures. And they still doubted. And Mark records it this way. That the eleven appear to Jesus... And the Bible says, or Jesus appeared to the eleven. The Bible says that he abraded them. <laughs> that, that's not a hairdo. That's, that's not a hairdo from Detroit. The upbraid. Uh, he upbraided them. That means he rebuked them. In fact, the connotation in the Greek is to rebuke as in one putting something between one's teeth and chomping down on. <sighs> he was angry. He upbraided them because of their unbelief. So they doubted. They had unbelief. They had, look, and their hardness of heart. I don't have time to tell you why they had hardness of heart. I'd love to preach on it. Maybe next time. But it says because they believed not them which had seen Jesus after he was risen. In other words, I'll just tell you real quick. They would not believe someone else's testimony because they saw their testimony as inferior to their own. Because they didn't have an experience with Jesus like they had. Well, you don't know the full truth like we know. You haven't experienced him like we do. So I'm not going to listen to your testimony. And they were bitter in their heart. And they had unbelief in their spirit. And they were doubting. What would you say to these guys if you were Jesus? Matthew records it. And Jesus tells them. You don't have to keep going back and forth. He says, I have all power in heaven and on earth. That's his next statement to these guys after rebuking them. I have all power. And you're doubting. But I have all power. And the very next sentence, go to the next verse. Matthew or Mark 16 and 15. If I was Jesus, I would have told them, go home or go sit on a padded pew in a Pentecostal church and don't ever do anything else. You're doubting. You got bitterness. You got hardness in your heart. But he looks at these guys that should never doubt and says, go ye into all the world. 
and preach the gospel to every creature. For he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They, they shall lay hands on the sick. And they shall recover now watch this this is what amazes me look at the next verse the bible says in verse 19 so then after the lord had spoken to them he disappeared he's looking at his final church now his only church 11 dudes he ain't got a, he ain't got an east wind he's got 11 guys who are doubting Unbelieving. He gives them one little two minute sermon and says, peace out guys. I'm out of here. You got it. You got it. In my opinion, Bishop Myers will set me straight. But in my opinion, this was the number one thing Jesus did to empower them in his entire ministry. See you later. It's your turn. What did they do? Here's what, here's what I would have done. I would have looked around and said, what did he just say? I'm an idiot. I'm a failure. I mean, I can't catch any fish. Matthew's over here. I'm a crooked tax collector. I mean, these guys are a bunch of, the Bible says, unlearned and ignorant men. The Bible says in the next verse, and they went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following watch this last verse Matthew 28 and 20 Jesus tells them at the end of the great commission he says teach them to observe all things whatever I have commanded you watch this Jesus says and lo I am with you when when you finally get licensed because you're anointed enough and worthy enough and you can finally sing in the choir and you're finally not doubting anymore and you're finally not tripping up anymore and you're finally not dealing with lust and pride and bitterness. He said, no, I'm with you always. For how long? End of your life? That's important there. Because the fact that he said to the end of the world lets us know he wasn't just talking to them. Because he knew they wouldn't live into the end of the world. He prophesied the death of Peter. He knew you guys aren't going to live into the end of the world. So there's a group of people in Palm Bay in 2022 that are going to storm the gates of hell. And I want them to know that my great commission wasn't just for you. It's for them. I will be with you always. Even unto the end of the world. Somebody just lift your hands for a moment. Uh, lift up your voice and praise the Lord for a second. Uh, oh, praise the Lord. Uh, oh, magnify the Lord.
Okay, listen. Now, we'll give two seconds of instruction. When our preacher finish, when our preachers finish preaching, and we're not preaching long, we're going to preach about 10, maybe 15 minutes. Believe that or not, we are. We're going to preach very short. Somebody else will come up to harvest. In other words, someone will come up to give instruction for the altar call. And that person that comes up to give the instruction for the altar call will give instruction for altar workers to come stand. Guess where? At the altar. You got it. At the altar. And turn around and face the audience. What you don't realize, maybe, maybe you do. Is that the more people who come down, the greater the flow of momentum that is given to the altar. It's scary for a 12th generation Pentecostal with the biggest bun on her head to sit in her pew and say, I want to go to the altar, but no one up, no one's, and there's no one up there. It's terrifying for anybody to say, nobody's up there. Well, not everybody. I'm probably kind of crazy. You know, some of us are crazy. We'll go anytime. But for most of us, we think no one's up there yet. Think of what would happen if we had 150 altar workers just send this spiritual shockwave of momentum, just this tidal wave towards the altar. Now, you're the awkward one if you don't come. So when the harvester gives instruction and they say, I want our altar workers to come line up. I want everyone in this room that is filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, with this evidence of speaking in other tongues, and baptized in Jesus' name. Nobody in here is perfect. Nobody in here is worthy. We are earthen vessels chosen by God. That's it. I want everybody that's in this room at that moment to come to the altar and to turn around and stand there, not with faith in yourself, but with faith in the call of God, knowing that when I go with the strength I've got left, God said, the miracles are waiting for you to go. The miracles are waiting. Uh, they are ready because I sent you. I called you. And I want you to think this thought through your mind. God's going to use me. To bring a miracle to someone else. And if I don't go, they might not get their miracle. We say the saying, go big or go home. I really believe that it's time for the church to go big. Because if we don't go big, they might go to hell. And we've got to go big and say, God, I don't have a lot of strength, but your word says you've called me, you've sent me, you've chosen me. So I'm just going to take a step of faith. So we're going to practice this right now. Okay. The only thing we're not going to do tonight is let's just do it. Let's go big. You didn't know what I was going to say, but I just changed my mind. I'm going to be Dylan, brother Dylan. You ready? You ready on the spot? He didn't know we we're going to do this. Okay, so I've preached. It's the biggest miracle of my life. I've preached a sermon for 10 minutes. I'm about to hand it over to our harvester, Brother Dylan Morgan, in just a second. He's going to come up here and he's going to give instruction. He's going to give a Holy Ghost altar call here tonight. Here tonight.
And he's going to ask for altar workers to come who are filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, baptized in Jesus' name. And then he's going to give the prayer of faith. And what we're going to do is there, if there's no one in here that needs the Holy Ghost, we're going to pray for each other as if we're praying for someone to receive the Holy Ghost or be healed tonight. Is that okay? Are you ready? Can everyone stand that's capable to stand? And I've just preached the best sermon this world's ever heard. And why don't we just take a moment and lift up our hands where we're standing for a moment and give glory to God for the word of God that's been given to us. Somebody just lift up your voice for a moment and just give praise to God for his word in the name of Jesus. All across this house, let's lift our voices one more time right now. Let's create an atmosphere of faith. I'm asking right now for all of East Wind's altar workers. I want you to make your way to this altar right now. If you're in this place and you are an altar worker, you're filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name. I want you to make your way to this altar right now. Come on. As you're coming to this altar, I want you giving praises unto God right now. Continuing to create an atmosphere of faith and anticipation for what the Holy Ghost is about to do in this service. That's it. That's it. If you have the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in a new tongue, you have been baptized in Jesus' name. Let's make our way to this altar right now. Come on. That's it. That's it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. That's it. There's more room. Let's press in. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Now for just one minute, I'd like everybody's attention. We're going to go through the steps of repentance right now. We're all right now. The Bible says that all have come up short of the glory of God. The Bible says that if you say no sin is in you, that you are a liar according to the word of God. We all have sin in our life. I want us to lift our hands for just a moment. And I want us to ask God to wash us and to cleanse us of all sin right now. Lord, wash me right now with the blood of the Lamb. Forgive me of any sins that are in my life, O oh God. Anything that is in my heart, anything that is in my mind, anything right now, God, that would stop the flow of the Spirit from flowing through my life, I pray right now that you would forgive me of it, God. Lord, take anything within me and remove it right now. Wash me, O oh Lord. Cleanse me, O oh Lord. Come on, let's create an atmosphere of repentance. Let's get anything out that's going to stop. Stand in the way of the Spirit of God, but not being able to flow in our lives right now. He said it would be like a river of living water. Let's get anything out of the way that would stop that river from flowing in us right now. In the name of Jesus. Wash us and cleanse us, O oh God. In the name of Jesus. the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Now, I want us all to be looking up towards heaven. I don't want us looking around and I don't want us being distracted. I want us to look up towards heaven 
Because we don't want distraction to come. The Bible says, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. I want every hand lifted because that is a universal sign of surrender. That is a sign saying, I surrender unto whatever's coming. I'm surrendering to it right now. And this is what you have to realize. You can't be thinking about what you're going to eat after this and be full of faith for this moment right now. You have to be thinking that the miracle is about to take place in your life. You have to be thinking that God is about to heal the person next to you. You have to be thinking that God is about to perform a great work in the life of the person you're about to pray for right now. In the name of Jesus, in just a moment, I'm going to speak the word of faith. When I speak the word of faith, I don't want you to move until you hear the word hallelujah. When you hear the word hallelujah, which is the highest word of praise, we believe that he inhabits the praises of his people. So when that praise goes up, the power of the Holy Ghost will come down. And when the power of the Holy Ghost comes down, everything in this building will be healed. Everything in this building will be delivered and everything in this building will be set free according to the word of the Lord in Jesus name I want you to get ready when you hear the word hallelujah you're going to turn and you're going to begin to pray for the person next to you right now When you, I'm going to speak the word of faith and when you hear hallelujah we're going to shout with everything and God's going to send miracles into this building right now Lord, right now, upon the authority of the Word of God and the power that's in the name of Jesus, uh, I lose, God, the supernatural power of the Holy Ghost uh, to begin to heal people, to begin to deliver people, to release a fresh flow of anointing in every life that is represented here in Jesus' name. Now, I want everybody to shout, Hallelujah! Shout unto the Lord. Now I want you to turn and begin to pray for the person next to you. Miracles will happen now in Jesus' name. If you're full of the gift of the Holy Ghost, I don't want you to lay your hand on their shoulder. I want you to turn and lay your hand on their head. And I want you to speak upon the authority of the Word of God and the power that's in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We speak authority. We speak boldness. We speak healing. God, I prophesy a hundred souls receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But God, I know that you are rejoicing because your word has been given to these people. Your word has been given to babes, to children of faith. We are your sons and daughters. We are your children of faith. Hallelujah, Jesus.
Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. There's victory in the house. There's victory in the house. There's victory in the house of the Lord. There's victory in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I want you to take a moment, just put your hands together and give God a hand clap of praise. Come on, somebody give God a hand clap of praise. I'm going to ask you to turn around this way very quickly. And we're going to dismiss. Amen. Now, this church right now is at a very peak of spiritual sacrifice, focus, and investment. I could have put the microphone down, and in the next probably 13 minutes, we'd all been slain in the spirit. They'd have to come mop us up in the morning. But I'm just cutting it right here because we need to maintain some of our energy for Friday night and Saturday night and Sunday morning and Sunday night. (laughs) So I want to leave you with this, okay? Something practical to go home with. Amen. When you approach somebody in the altar, I want you to first of all, of course, take a step of faith. But I want you, secondly, I want you to sort of assess the situation in front of you. Assess the person in front of you. What, by that, what I mean by that is, if they're standing there with a look like this on their face, like, confusion, most likely the best thing not to do is to go up there and start spitting in their face. They're going to turn around and say, bye. Deuces. (laughs) This is as crazy as I thought it was. Assess the situation. You know? If you see confusion on their face, or if you see any kind of look of hesitation on their face, you don't have to go and just zap them in the head and scream and shout and think, well, if I don't do this, they're not going to get the Holy Ghost. Most of the time that I pray someone through to the Holy Ghost, it's after I go to them and I say, hey, what's your name? Tom, how are you today? Man, what are, you, are, are you excited about this? Is this your first time in a church like this? Have you ever felt anything like this before? And I'm trying to get their mind off of how crazy everything is going on around them for a second. And I'm trying to show them we're normal, actually. How are you doing? And that's a nice shirt. Man, you must go hunting and... And I'll start talking about them. Where are you from, Tom? How's it going? Tell them your name. I'm Chris. Don't say Chris. Tell them your name. (laughs) Tell them something about you. Introduce yourself. Be friendly. And ask them, what do you think about all this? What are you feeling about all this? Man, I'm not sure. Do you feel God? Do you feel anything? Do you feel faith? Do you feel joy? Do you feel something? Man, I do. I I feel, you know, I don't know what I feel. It's weird. It's goosebumps. And man, I, I kind of started to cry. I don't know what all this is about. I don't. Have you ever heard about receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God with the evidence? No, I've never heard anything about that. Well, guess what? It's for you. 
you can receive God's Spirit right now. Ask them, do you have any questions? Now, that's scary for us because we think, I don't know the answers. Actually, you do. I promise you, you do. You don't have to have some great hermeneutical approach to the Scripture of, well, point A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. You just tell them basics. Act this is what one of my, one of, uh, like Brother Robin, he, he taught me one time. He said, what you need to do is realize that that person, although they may be ancient of days, not, not Tom, he's, oh, he's young. They may be 30, 40, 50, 60 or above, but at one time they were a child. And you see them, you almost see them as that child that they used to be. And you break it down for them in love, not throwing it in their face. Well, you got to do this or you're going to hell. No, no. Well, there's an opportunity, and it's called the gift of the Holy Ghost. God died for you. He, he loves you. He wants you to receive His Spirit. He has something. And what, what I do a lot of times, I'll, I'll say, hey, you can just make it up, okay? I'll just say, is there something I could pray for you about? Do you have any physical pain or anything going on in your family at home? Is there anything that I could help you pray for, okay? Well, and you just give us something, okay? Physical pain, okay. And it doesn't matter what their thing is. He could have said anything, okay. I'm trying to, you know, put this Rubik's Cube together, and, and I need someone to help me. And I, same, same answer. It don't matter what it is. I don't care what he said. And I care, but the answer is going to be the same. You ever receive the gift of the Holy Ghost? Because you know where physical healing comes from? The Spirit of God. The scripture says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. He wants to heal you today. But before he heals you, he's going to fill you with his spirit. He could have said, I need direction. I need clarity. My marriage is falling apart. Anything. Have you ever been filled with the spirit of God? Because I promise you this, that if you let God fill you up today, he's going to give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. And God can give you the direction to help resolve that situation in your home, whatever it is. No, I've, I've never received that. Is it something you're interested in? Sure, yeah, I'm interested. Okay, this is what we're going to do. If you don't mind, I'm going to pray for you. You just tell them in a second. And you walk them through in a way the best you can. The same thing we've done from the pulpit. Have you repented of your sins? If they say yes, great. They say no, walk them through repentance. And then you tell I this is just me. I like for them to claim what's about to be received. I'll say, Tom... I want you to say these words of faith with me because you've already told me you want the Holy Ghost. I want you to tell Jesus right now. So, Tom, I want you to say, Jesus, I want the Holy Ghost. Say, Jesus, I want to speak with other tongues. Say, Jesus, I will receive the Holy Ghost. Say, in the name of Jesus. Now, Tom, you've just confessed your request to God. Now you're going to receive it because he knows that you want it. He's already purchased it for you. All you have to do is worship him and you're going to receive it. And so what we're going to do is you're going to lift your hands in a second. And all I'm going to do is lay my hand on your head like the Bible says. And I'm just going to begin to speak the word of faith and praise God with you. But from this point forward, all I want you to do is praise God, okay? That's all you're going to do because it's a gift. You don't need to ask him for it anymore. You're just going to praise God, okay? So, Tom, would you raise your hands right now? Okay, I want you to close your eyes. And, Tom, 
the next time you open your eyes, you're going to have received the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. So what I want you to do right now is I just want you to begin to say, thank you, Jesus. And now say, hallelujah, Jesus. Uh, hallelujah. And Tom, when I lay my hand on you, you're going to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Just begin to worship him, Tom. Hallelujah, Lord. I worship you, Lord. Here it comes, Tom. You're ready. It's, it's going to happen right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, receive ye the Holy Ghost right now. That's it. That's the Holy Ghost. And you begin to encourage them. That's it. You're doing great. Keep worshiping God. And when they begin to speak in tongues, let them know. That's it. That's the Holy Ghost. And then you grab one of those big blue cards, right? And you shove that in their face. <laughs> you grab one of those blue cards. Man, those are almost as, as valuable as salvation, aren't those around here? I love it. Get him a blue card. <laughs> and ask him. Now, you've already encouraged him. I mean, it's obvious. He's speaking in something, that I, language I don't know. And so after I've witnessed it, I'll tell him. I'll say, Tom, something powerful just happened, didn't it? But I would like to hear it from you. Did you feel something happen? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt. Did, did your tongue begin to shake and tremble? Yeah. Did you speak sounds you've never spoken before? I did. Well, guess what? That was the evidence of the Holy Ghost, and you'll never be the same. You'll never be the same. Now, last point is this. I see, I've seen it. I'm just going to get plain, right? Y'all love me. Three people. That's enough. By the mouth of three witnesses. I've seen it happen here. Someone gets the Holy Ghost, and all of a sudden, it's like they're a, they got leprosy. And they're just standing there kind of like, what do I do now? It's like we get in the blue car, and like, whoa, I'm out of here. <laughs> Not every time. Sometimes we do the opposite too much, you know. Ah, you know. But, but we got to find that balance where we don't just leave them alone. They just got something from another world, and they don't know what to do. They're just standing there like, what do I do now? It would be awesome if it was a man receiving the Holy Ghost. We have a few guys come up and say, my name is so-and-so. I heard you got the Holy Ghost. Hey, I'd like to meet up with you. You like coffee? Let's go get coffee. Or you like to hunt? Let's go hunt. You play golf? Hey, what do you do? Let's go, let's go out to eat tonight. Forget about your friends. Go up to the Toms and say, hey, you want to go get some, some food? Well, I'll take you out. It's, it's on me tonight. How much more sustenance would we have to our outpouring if we had somebody that went up to them and befriended them instantaneously? Don't let them be isolated because they'll never come back. Amen. How many of you are ready for what God's about to do? One more time, lift up your hands and just give God a thanksgiving offering of praise. Show them your love for a few seconds. Oh, Lord, you are mighty. You are holy. You are worthy to be praised. I give you all the glory for what you are about to do. And I claim that I am your vessel. I will go and be used by God in the name of Jesus. Oh, clap your hands and shout unto God with the voice of triumph.
God bless you. Do I need to hand this over to anybody? We're good? All right. God bless you. Greet each other in Jesus' name.